the Own Your Intuitive podcast is for the creatives, spiritual entrepreneurs, and light workers in the world. The shining ones who have been told to dim their light and stop believing in magic. I say screw that. The time to rise is now to bring your gifts out into the world in a big way, creating a business that feeds your soul and your bank account. You are a magical being with the potential to change the world, one human at a time. The time for you to own your intuitive is now. Hey everybody, you have no idea what we are getting into in this podcast episode. I am so delighted because today's guest is one of the most magical humans I know. She is the mistress of manifestation. She is the most gracious, kindest, most loving person I have ever met and come across in my entire life. And I cannot wait to delve deep into her story and share her love and light with you all. It's like a blanket that will cover you and keep you cozy and warm for the next hour. Today, I have got Jude Walsh with me. Hey, hey Jude. Hey. How are you? I'm delighted to be here. I've been looking forward to this. Me too. I just love spending any time with you. I could spend all my time with you. I just love you that much. Right back at you. And so... For those who are tuning in and listening and they're like, well, she really loves this Jude Walsh lady. Will you like tell a little bit about yourself so they understand why? <laughs> um, okay. I'm a, a writer and an author and a coach. Uh, I'm the author of Post-Divorce Bliss, Ending Us and Finding Me that came out of the end of a long-term marriage that was hugely traumatizing for me and I struggled a lot and I learned a lot and um, as you can tell by the title I came out on the other side with genuine bliss and having really grown so the the goal of that was to share that with people so they could it's the book I always wanted I wish I'd had that book and it's uh, to help people get there easier and faster than I did Um, coaching I work with women who are in that position uh, either ending a marriage or a long-term relationship Um, and I also have a new sweet spot I'm working with women mm, over 50, over 60, even over 70, who have decided to pivot, that um, life has, has um, given them an urge or their heart and soul has given them an urge to turn in a new direction. And I get to employ my superpower then, which is I can see the best in people and I can help them see it too. So that's, that's great fun. On the writing side, um, I've kept journals since I was a little girl. I have them all. I have about 170 of them. Wow. And yeah, that's a lot of journals. When you stack them up, it's pretty impressive. I, um, I write personal essay, and I've been in a lot of anthologies. Uh, my favorite is Chicken Soup for the Soul because there is a reason my friends tease me and call me Pollyanna. I do like to see the best and I love the Hallmark Channel. So I love, love, love happy endings and that's why I'm writing romance now. So what a smorgasbord, dude. Pardon me? Like a smorgasbord. You're like a buffet of awesome. A plethora of joy for activities. 
I love that. And the only other two things you need to know is that I have extreme wanderlust. I, I live by Susan Sontag's quote, I haven't been everywhere, but it's on the list. And I love my animal companions. I have three of them surrounding me at the moment through my dogs. And what, uh, what is your dog of choice? Well, at the moment, I have one Yorkie and two Cotan de Tulliars. They're little dogs, right? Yeah, the biggest one's about 17 pounds. The vet right. keeps telling me she's overweight. And I just say, I feel her pain. Let's, let's just leave her alone. <laughs> <laughs> I feel the exact same amount. So, you know. Well, there's a lot of juicy, beautiful, like, expressions of yourself that you just kind of dropped on us. And I, I can't wait to delve into those a little deeper. But I do want to go back in time a little bit, right? Because, you know, there's, I love that you've been writing since you were little. Can you take us back into your childhood and give us a little origin story of Jude Walsh? Sure. Um I am the second of two children. My sister is eight years older than I am. Um, so that's like being an only child. World War II was in between her birth and mine. So my mom really, really wanted a little girl. She wanted another child. And she prayed a novena to St. Anne. And she promised that if she had another child, she would make that novena every year for the rest of her life, which she did. She lived to be 93. And my full name is Judith Ann Regina, which if you know your Greek and Latin is queen of grace and prayer. <laughs> she might've overshot. <laughs> and I was born on All Saints Day. So you can sort of see where all this is going. There's a lot of... Um, <laughs> connections there. Um, I had a very active imagination as a child, um, like to make things up and do little plays and act stuff out. And one of my favorite memories is I'm on the swing set behind the house and I'm swinging and I'm singing and making up this song about how beautiful the world is. Yeah, so that was it. And I, from a, a very early age, I love to read. I can't remember not reading, but I do remember the day that I figured it out, my mother read to me constantly. And I remember literally looking at the book one day and going, oh, wait, and I could read. I just knew it. All Everything locked in, into place and I could read from, you know, from sitting next to her with a book. So I read very, very young, which of course meant then that I wanted to write all those letters, put all those, those words down and, and make up my stories. And <clears throat> journaling was just, I just like to write about what was happening and what I made up that was happening. <laughs> then, you know, through high school, it was just paying attention. I was, was doing the thinking things through and what they mean. And then when I, my marriage blew up, literally journaling was a life-saving thing. It, it saved me, yeah, kept, kept track. You know, when you're uh, traumatized, you don't know what's real and what isn't. Do you, do you know what I mean? You're just so traumatized. You, you just don't know what's going on. So I was writing everything down as it happened. And that turned out to be really wonderful because when I was going back and doing some of the healing work, I, could, I found all these things that really were true that I wasn't sure were true. And I found out that I knew some things that I didn't realize I knew earlier than I thought I knew them. 
So that's kind of the magic of, of writing for me. I had one of those childhoods where <clears throat> my um, grandmother lived next door with a maiden aunt. So I had three mothers plus my older sister before she moved out was kind of another mother. So I had a whole lot of feminine energy and it was very much a matriarchal place. My dad was an alcoholic, so there were some issues there. Both my parents lost their fathers in coal mining accidents when they were very young. So those are the kind of things that cross generations. I don't know if you, like, so I grew up with my mom, my, my sister, and my grandmother. My mom's father died in a coal, coal accident. <laughs> like, I'm, like, I just, I'm, I'm just so, I find myself more connected to you every single time I talk to you, Jude, truly and completely. I, you know, had the journals. I was writing as a kid. I used to skip school to read. Like, that was the, the joy. And I think that I want to actually veer completely off topic here because you started today when we were talking before we did the podcast on a very important question. And I think that this is something that I want to, I want to talk about because whether you know it, it, it affects all of us. And it was a really profound statement because we write, we write a lot. It is like our lifeblood. It is what supports our, our energy. It is how we connect, communicate. And I feel that like I'm the same as you. And then you said, but I don't know if I am an author or I'm a coach. Like, how do I connect to one word or the other? Um, and can you, can you talk about that a little bit? Because I think it's a big conversation. Yeah, and part of it is um, you, we get told a lot to focus, to focus, you know, to, to make a goal and, and go for it. And both of those things are very energetically consuming. Because if I'm coaching somebody, I'm 100% into that and thinking about that. And I carry that around with me. Um, and I like it. I like that feeling of, of deeply connecting with another person and, and helping them see their power. It's, it's wonderful. But on the other hand, when I'm writing, I dip into some sort of zone I've heard it referred to as flow. Uh, and I can start to write in, I can be, I like to write in public places. I like to write at home too, but I like to write like in a, a coffee shop and I can drop into writing and I will look up and maybe two or three hours will have gone by and I have no rec recall and there are all different people there. <laughs> and it's always like, where did you all come from and why is it crowded in here? Oh, it's crowded because it's lunchtime. So you, you just, I get so immersed in that. And I don't, I don't want to give up either of those things, but I've been, I've been listening to people saying, well, you need to focus, you need to focus. And I think where I am now is that that is my focus, that it's okay to have two really deep passions I'm saying preach an amen because that's how I, I skirt that line myself, right? Where in, in funny stories, even on my Instagram, it was, I love author is who I associate with, like Tamara Arnold author with my tag. And so for a few days, I changed it to Tamara Arnold coaching. And I was like, how does this feel? Right? Because like, it's like there, but yet I went back to Tamara Arnold author after probably about a week saying to my husband, like, I'm supposed to be author, aren't I? Like, it's such a, it's such a, 
it's such a pool. Like, it's, like this is the dilemma for me as like, I want to write. If I could be given a choice though, like I don't know about you. If I were given a choice, you can either coach or you can write which one. And you could only choose one. I would choose writing. It's my, it's my avenue. What, what about yourself? <coughs> well, <clears throat> the other thing too is I, I even ponder the idea of using just author because author implies books which is wonderful. I love, I love that I've written a book. And, but it, for me, writer is equally as important. Some of the things I'm writing are never meant to be published. They're meant to feed whatever else I'm doing or they're meant to personally document my life. Or more importantly, they're meant for me to process. I, I think you'll agree with this. That's how I process. I write you know, and the more, and I, literally as I'm writing, I often say, oh, I didn't know I knew that. I didn't know I knew that. And where did that come from? And it, and it really feeds me. So it'd be really hard for me to choose. And I get that. I get that. Like, cause my, you, you and I have worked together. Like you're one of my most favorite clients I've ever had. Like you just are, like I said, one of the most beautiful humans on this land. And you know what I mean? So I understand that, that, discomfort right but if I were taken away like if my ability to write was taken away Ugh. wouldn't even want to think about that right like that that is my if I feel you when you say you drop into that zone and you can just lose time and you don't know where the words come from and you know having read the big leap, right? Like the zone of genius comes out, right? Serving. And I'm, and I think this is why I see you as this beautiful blanket, right? And I, I loved I, when you said that, by the way. Thank you. Especially since I have a quilt behind me. Right. But like, it's like your words have the capacity when we're writing to shift people globally around the world. And, that's yeah, and there is that, you know, coaching <clears throat> is one-on-one -on -one mostly. That's when I love it best. I've done some, some small group things. And the other thing is I taught for 33 years. So teaching is the, is it's that same thing. It's connecting with people and watching them grow and change. My, my last job description, um, I co-founded a charter school with some amazing dreamer teachers and my title that they gave me and I embraced was teacher coach. And that was my job. And um, so coaching's kind of a part of me too. Absolutely. I, I guess I'm being like, please don't make me choose. Please don't make me choose. <laughs> I know. I know. I get you. Like, but I, it's so interesting because it's like, I just, I, when you were, were saying that, I felt such a, a connection to it because I was like, oh my gosh, I, I, I struggle with that as well. Yeah. And I that's why. not right. I, I, I cannot imagine my life without creating the books, right? Like I already have, my fourth book is in me. Like it wants to be born already. And I'm like, Tamara, slow down, steady. Like just, you know. Which, which brings us to the issue of, you know, why people tell you to choose because you say, well, you have to focus and there are only so many minutes in the day, all of which is true. But <laughs> I still think you can do all the things uh, and then I just want to do all the things and uh, I, I you know I get questions too about age because 68 and people are like well why are you starting new things at 68 
And my first response is, well, first of all, my mother was 93 when she died. So I've got, what, 25 more years here. Um, and second, what does age have to do with really anything? I just look at it as sort of a bonus. I've got a lot more experiences now than I did when I was 20. Um, but I have, I feel like my centering spirit is the same. It's like, oh, that's cool. Let's do that. And, you know, oh, I can't wait to try that. Um, well, let's, let's take a journey back because to get you to this place of where you started writing, right? Because you graduated high school and then you didn't go into journalism. You didn't go into anything that had to do with writing, right? What did you take in college and how did you become a teacher for 33 years? My undergrad degree is in psychology. <clears throat> of course it is. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it, at my, my college was way ahead of the times. So it, it was very private school, but it was kind of Quaker influenced. Um, not a Quaker school, but Quaker influenced. And they did not, you could Can I ask what that means for those who are listening? Because I'm a Quaker what? Well, there are some schools that are literally founded by Quakers and, and, and What's have a Quaker? That. A Quaker, it's, it's not a religion, but it's like a religion. Okay. That, that's slippery for me. I'm not a Quaker, so it's, I don't really feel like I can give a good definition, but they're very peaceful. They're service-oriented. Um, like in a Quaker service, it's silent unless someone gets up and speaks. It, so it's very egalitarian. For example, my college had no sororities like you couldn't pledge a sorority i take that back they had one sorority and i was in it and the way you got in it was you had to do service projects yeah i just looked it up and it says quakers feel people should follow their inner light rather than their external rules they believe that god grows and changes with his creation and believe that god continues to tell human beings what they should do yeah i like that and like i said my was my school is not it wasn't called a Quaker school, but it had Quaker influences. That's cool. In any event, so, uh, but I also loved teaching. So you could study education. So I did that too. So I had actually found out, <clears throat> I was working my way through school, and I found out that you could take the exact, you could take 18 credits for the same price of 12 credits. So I always took 18 because I had to work so hard to pay my tuition. So I ended up with, you know, psychology, education, and I was just one class short. I would have had another one in art. So I, I made good use of my time at the university. It was really good. I love that. And, and so like, um, how did you get into teaching from that? And did you meet your husband somewhere in there or after? Yeah, my husband and I are high school, were high school sweethearts. Oh, geez. Yeah. yeah. And the goal was he wanted to teach at the college level. So that's why I thought having mm-hmm. um, an education degree would be good because, uh, you know, our, our schedules could sync up. And uh, also, I wanted nine children. <laughs> Did you really? I did because I grew up in an Irish neighborhood and everybody had like a whole bunch of siblings. And I just had this one older sister and I felt terribly deprived by that. (laughs) I'd go to people's houses and there's like always people everywhere. And they would come to my house and go, Oh God, this is so wonderful. It's so quiet here. (laughs) You know, we always like the opposite of what we have. Yeah. So that, that was the deal we were going to, and I was going to um, 
have babies and bake bread and have a house where all the children came. Um, but my husband changed his mind when he graduated, decided he wanted to go to law school. So we, so I said, okay. <laughs> and we went off and he went to law school and um, that sort of changed our lives because there were no summers off in law, in, as a lawyer. Right. It was a completely different, different life. And as you know, I had just one, one son, not nine, but he was a good one. So, you know, I'm grateful for he him. Was. And so, yeah, so, so that, yeah, life took a little twist there, but I was writing through all of that. You know, I was journaling all that. And um, my college in the education department was very, um, they would call it a holistic approach now. It wasn't about testing and scores. It was about how to fully develop children as humans. So um, they were ahead of their time there. It was really good. And I started with preschoolers. Did you? Mm-hmm. I can totally see preschool. you with preschoolers. Oh, I had, you know, I've taught everything from preschool all the way through doctoral students. And you know what? They're exactly the same. They, they have the same needs and desires and tender little hearts. They just have different size bodies. That's awesome. I love that. I just want to take a pause because I think that that's a powerful statement because we are all our child self, our present self, or, you know, our future self all in one right now. Yeah. So I ended up working, I, I ended up getting a doctorate in um, a master's and a doctorate. Um, and my doctorate was one of those things, you know, how I believe the universe leads you where you are meant to be. I was um, interested in language development and a friend said, Oh, you should take this class. It's really wonderful. It was in Cincinnati. I live in Dayton. So it was a drive. But the class was amazing. It was like everything I always wondered about how we acquire language was, was there. So it ended up being three quarters. And at the end, the professor said, well, would you like to consider being in the doctoral program? And I hadn't thought about a doctor at all, but I was like, oh, yeah, that's cool. You know, that knowing, you know, we talk about that, that knowing moment. It was like, oh, yeah, this is for me. And I ended up um, studying literacy and language development and acquisition and um, ethnography, and then ended up working with um, students. This was my favorite class who had neurologically impacted language and some brain issues. So they were like little puzzles. They were so much fun and really quirky. And you know, quirky would appeal to me. Uh, my favorite thing was if I asked them a question and they gave me an answer that was just like, not even in the ballpark, I would always say, why did you answer that way? And when they explained it to me, they were right. <laughs> it was just, they approached it differently. So I learned, I learned so much about, about humans that way. And then uh, stumbled into this, literally was invited by a volunteer in my classroom. Um, she said, you know, I have a friend who's looking at a charter school. Would you like to do that? And uh, once again, I knew right away that was exactly right. It was a phenomenal experience. Just what phenomenal. is a charter school? Can you, can you explain? Charter that? schools, in the United States, we have public schools where, you know, wherever you live, you go. And then we have 
private schools that can either be like parochial schools that are operated by the Catholic church or, or another church or private schools that are just very expensive, beautiful learning institutions. And there was um, a problem that they didn't think the charters, the uh, public schools were doing as much as they should. So they started um, funding what they called charter schools where you would write a proposal for a school and um, if it was approved and you were sponsored, then you would start a school, but it was still run by, it was still operated by public funds. It was very controversial because um, many public school teachers felt they were taking money away from schools that already didn't have enough money. My school was unique in that it was sponsored by the local public school district. And then there were union issues. It's like, well, they're going to pay teachers less, but my, our teachers were also in the union. We were the only charter school at the time that did that. So it was very exciting. We paired up with universities and really worked to make um, the school an inclusive place. For example, um, as teachers, we weren't really fond of all the bells. So we had a, a two-hour literacy learning period where we'd move kids around depending on what they needed to learn, not their grade level, what, what skill they were working on. But to change classes, instead of a, a bell, we played Louis Armstrong's It's a Wonderful World. Oh my goodness. What a yeah, it's called, an energy. It's called the, yeah, it was called The World of Wonder. So that song was pretty appropriate. Anyway, that's kind of my groove. The school is called, called The World of Wonders? World of Wonder, yeah. That was the school name. It was really fun. That really is fun. beautiful. Now, I want to ask a question because you took all of this, um, you know, learning about how to, to communicate and vocalize with children who didn't think the same way as us and, and you know, their minds worked differently. Did this happen before the birth of your son? Do you think the universe was guiding you to this information? Yeah, yeah, my, my son was a person with special needs. And I get that a lot. They go, oh, man, you're so lucky you have a, a, a degree in special ed. Well, my master's degree is in special education. And I had that before I had my son. So it was very handy. <laughs> it was very handy to have all that knowledge. The psych degree helped too. Everything helps. You know? where, where, where in the journey did you have your son, Bren? I had just finished my master's. So I was 26, I think. And then when did you open the charter school? How old were you there? Oh, that was in 1999. So I was, uh, how old was I? 49. Yeah. Your story is just so compelling. And so I know that you had talked at the beginning about that there was trauma in your marriage. Um, Are you open to sharing any of that information? Yeah, I mean, I married my best friend, and um, we we went through everything together, you know, high school, college, law school, <laughs> doctoral programs, becoming a lawyer, going through the partnership track, having a child with extremely challenging uh, health issues, uh, and I I always said I, I had a deep connection with my ex, uh, if. If I were downtown with my kids, I could say to them, 
Mr. Welly's going to come around the corner, and he would. I could feel him come near me. I knew where he was. If something, uh, once a, a very close cousin had an accident, and they had called and, and told my ex, and I was driving, we were not together, and I felt his anguish, and I had to pull over and cry. And I didn't tell him this is before cell phones. So when I got home, then I found out what, what the problem was. But I, I always joked that it never mattered who was at any party I went to. And you know I'm an extrovert. I love a party. <laughs> but I know that horrifies you. But I, I love them. I, I, it never mattered to me who was there because I had come with the most interesting person. So if nobody else was there, I could just talk to him. It was fine. And then uh, everything was wonderful. And then one day it just wasn't. I was blindsided, completely blindsided. He, he had a midlife crisis and um, had an affair and he be, it just turned everything I believed in upside down. It was extremely shocking. You know, I didn't realize till later that I, had PTSD about it because I just couldn't believe it. I mean, and also, you know, Pollyanna here, it's like, well, you know what? This was a terrible thing, but I will love him through this. He's the best man in the world, in my opinion. And I will just, we'll work, we'll work this out together. And I, I really tried to do that, but it got worse instead of better. And then I, there were some other things that were peeled back that made me realize I had Pollyanna'd my way through some things that maybe I shouldn't have. So eventually it got to the point where divorce was the only answer. I, well, I got breast cancer and they literally told me, look, <laughs> the stress has got to go. This has to stop. I went to the, to the Cleveland clinic and she literally said to me, you, this has got to stop. And I went to a medical intuitive and she like so nailed it. She's like, well, you know, you have breast cancer. I didn't tell her what was wrong. I, my health problems, but she said, you have a problem with your breast. And she said, it's because you're being sucked dry. And she said, you need to stop that or you will die. And I said, wow, oh, right. I think that's uh, pretty, pretty clear. And I, and I did get the best of the best help all through the, whole trauma. So that, that was why the book became so important to me. Um, I wanted to create something for people who maybe couldn't afford the kind of help I could afford at that time. And I wanted it in a little pocket size that they could, I, I you know, you said you're like a warm blanket that made me so happy because that's how I feel when I coach and that's how I felt when I was writing this book. I just wanted to nurture people through a very difficult time while letting them see their power and their strength and their beauty and their talents and let them know that even though this is probably not what they wanted and, or if they did want it, it's uncomfortable to do it, but that there's bliss. They're really, I, I chose that word deliberately there's bliss on the other side. You know, do the work, clean it up, nurture yourself, forgive, you know, do that whatever amount of forgiveness work you need to do, do it. 
And you well, that, have- this is my question, Jude, yes. because I think that there could be people who are going through something similar listening, right? And you, you talk about the fact that when you found out and you were in that state of beautiful grace with your husband and you were going to work it out, how long did, from the time that you found out of his affair, did you, did you continue striving to solve the unsolvable problem? <laughs> Seven years. Seven years. Yeah, I, I am nothing if not persistent. You know, and they had that thing about, <laughs> and yet she persists. I thought, oh man, they could have said that about me. I just, I just couldn't believe that. We, I mean, we had the marriage everybody wanted. Oh, I want my marriage to be just like yours. You know, when you're not in the room, he just talks about you in such glowing terms. And I, I, I literally had a friend say to me, I, I can't believe you're getting a divorce. I never heard you say one crossword it's like annoying how much you like your husband and so it was it was traumatic there's no other word it was extreme deep trauma and part of it was the way i was raised i grew up in an alcoholic home and we are i learned that you keep secrets and you don't if so, you know I was very good at keeping secrets. So if there was something that wasn't to be talked about, I knew how to do that. <laughs> so I, I kept his affair literally a secret for about, this is going to sound like a pregnancy, but, but about nine months or 10 months. Um, and we're trying to work all this through. And in the meantime, I've, I'm throwing up every day. I've lost 90 pounds in eight months. I mean, it was pretty genuine trauma. And the weird thing about that was everybody just wanted to know, oh, how did you lose the weight? <laughs> and I thought, you know what? I have a doctorate. I founded a school. I've successfully raised a child with health and development challenges. And all you care about is how I lost the weight. It was just incredible. It's like I threw up every day for eight months. You know, you try it. You'll lose a lot of weight too. But I wasn't telling people that because I was also exercising obsessively because it, you know, exercise can keep you a little bit grounded. But um, when I finally did, and I told no one, I had two friends who, who knew what was going on, but that was it. Didn't tell my family, no one, no one knew. And when I, when it broke open again, it turned out while we're doing all this work, he had remained in contact with this woman. That just was not good for me. So I, I went the exact opposite. I literally was telling strangers on the street, my husband had an affair. <laughs> I, sort of, I sort of did a 180. But you know what was good about that? A lot of people said, oh, mine too, let's talk. And, and I, that's when I started to get some traction with, um, with my own, with some, some care, like, well, why did I put up with that? And why did I keep that a secret? And, you know, part of it was um, humiliation. I think when you find out your partner's been unfaithful, it's humiliating. Part of it was I really believed that guy that I love so much was still in there. He was just mixed up and confused. And the therapist kept telling me the same thing, just give him a chance, you know? And finally, I just, I couldn't give him any more chances. 
it was just so that took, just, it still took years for you to get to that place yeah, we, and we were separated we we were separated at that point you know we weren't living together anymore but he, he kept me kind of i thought he was still trying to work things out and we really divorced when he found someone else and was willing wanted to get married again hmm. yeah but i and i didn't even know he was dating Right. Yeah. So much for my friends. Where was the, where was the breast cancer in that? What? what? Well, I was already past breast cancer at that point. Gotcha. Uh, well, that's not true. I had breast cancer. Actually, gosh, Tamara, this is the first time I put that. Tamara, it's the first time I put that together. I had breast cancer during the actual divorce. Um, yeah, I literally signed the divorce papers on like a Thursday and had surgery on Tuesday. It was that quick. Wow. I didn't put that together until just now. Hmm. Imagine that. Yeah, well, that was my body saying, enough, you know, enough, enough, yes. enough, enough. And um, I had joined a lot of women's groups at that point. So I had a really good tribe and I talk about that a lot about, you know, you need a tribe to support you when you're, you're traumatized. Um, and I really never had that in that same way because my ex-husband was my best friend yeah. and I told him everything yeah. and he had, he had very strict rules about what you can or cannot share with people. So that was part of it. All that secrecy was not good for me. You divorced how many years ago then? 10. 10. Mm -hmm. And so now how old that would have been when you were 58. Mm -hmm. And so you, how long after that did you leave teaching and branch into? Um, oh, well, you know, I had founded, co-founded this school. It was literally the best job of my life. I was so happy. And our teachers, we were, we chose one another in the hiring. And so we were, we all had the same educational um, structure paradigm. Um, we were friends. I mean, uh, my ex would say they would all come over to the house and he'd be like, you know, those wow people, they're laughing when they come in the door three hours later, they're still laughing on the way out. We worked on Saturdays. We worked on Sundays. There was a church that rented our school on Sunday mornings and we would be there working because we loved it. And they would announce, please, teachers come. And we would come in and they would pray over us and then send us back out. It was great. It was so great. I mean, it was really great. Um, but it got to a point where I was so traumatized. This was right after I had found out about the affair and I had just begun to tell people about it. I was so traumatized. Um, I was you know, lost all this weight. I, my gallbladder had to be removed because if you lose weight too fast, you often lose your gallbladder. My son's heart started to go bad. He had to have a pacemaker. My mother had cancer. So all of this, well, my mother had heart disease at that time and cancer. All of this was happening at once. And my therapist said, something has to give. You either give up on the marriage or you stop working, but you cannot do all of this. So I retired early, which broke my heart. So I retired from my school in 2005. Really sad day. Really sad day for me. But um, 
it was necessary. And actually, it was at that point that I really started to write more. I started to write essays that were in submitting them for publication and um, started working on a memoir. You didn't, like, that was just, like, natural. You didn't think, you didn't have, like, that, who am I to write a publication? Who, you just were, like, this was healing for you. This was part of your, your process. Yes. And, and I've, I've always been, from when I was very, very little, I've, I've always been told I can write. I'd write little stories. I ask a personal question. I just want to know this. When you say you started submitting for publications, where did you find the publications? Did you Google them? Did you look online? How did you find what you would submit to? Well, you know what a little extrovert I am. <laughs> I joined like a zillion writing groups and, and um, I, in one of them, uh, you know, I started going to writing conferences. There's a really wonderful one in Dayton called the Antioch Writers Workshop. And I met other writers there and, um, you know, shared some of my writing and they're like, well, you should totally submit that. And I said, well, how do I do that? And they said, well, you know, here's a tool. It's called Duotrope. And, and it shows you, you can put in what you have, like what you're looking for, and it'll tell you publications that might be a good place to submit. And so I started doing that. And I remember when I got my first submission, I was like, holy mackerel, Andy, this is like the coolest thing ever. Okay, question. How many submissions did you submit before you got one accepted? One, Jude Walsh, you're amazing. I know, I know. My first one made it. That's not true. I, I submitted one that didn't make it, but it was because I missed the deadline. Ah. But yeah, I, was, I always energetically send stuff. And also, but you know what? Rejection is really part of writing and you have to just be comfortable with that. So I don't remember who it was, but there's a writing teacher it's a well-known writing teacher. But what she said was when she submits something, if it comes back rejected, she just says, oh, I sent that to the wrong address and just sends it to another one. And so I wanna... one, of my, one of my writing buddies that I write with on Sunday mornings, she said, Jude, here's what you do. You know, take your piece, submit it to three places. If one comes back a rejection, submit it to two more. If another one submitted to, so you're exponentially um, sending out the submission. And, and at the same time, you're paying attention to, um, it, sometimes they don't tell you why they reject stuff, but sometimes they do. And if they do, sorry, I had to adjust the screen. I always pay really close attention or I'll really look at the piece again and say, how can I make this better? You know, and you, you know, as a writer, that that app, the the one that tells you where your piece would be a good publication. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can we I put mean, you that just, in the show notes for those who are listening that are writers about Duotrope. Yeah, Duotrope. Sure. Mm -hmm. I just think that that's really cool. Oh, plus, I want it so oh, much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there is. I should give you a heads up. You have to pay. It's like fifty five dollars for a year. It's very minimal. And, and also on Duotrope, you can keep track of where you've submitted. Oh, see, now this is fascinating to me. I love this. Oh, you now do a Zoom call. I'll show you how to do it. 
I, of course you, of course, this is how Jude is, everybody. She's, that's how loving. When I say she's like the most amazing human in the planet, there's an example of what I'm talking about. And I want to talk really quickly about something that I think is really spectacular about you. And, and I think that this is, again, part of your intuition and part of you, you talk about knowing you, you, you've said it multiple times throughout this episode. Like you get these, these understandings that, you know, this is the, the right decision. Can you share that with people? Cause I think when people are confused or thinking about taking a job or not taking a job or relationships, what does that feel like for you? <clears throat> what does it feel like? It's, it's total. Um, for example, I'll tell you my chicken soup story. That will, that will help. I read the first chicken soup book when it came back in, out in like 1997, maybe. I don't know. You know, I was founding, I was deep into education and my school. And um, I bought it literally at like a gas station. You know how they'll have books in gas stations. And I, I would read aloud to my husband while we were driving. And I thought, these stories are the most amazing things someday I want to be in, I want this, I want to be like in a chicken soup. And so I forgot about that because, you know, years went by and things happened. And then I realized that, you know, I started to write and you can actually submit to chicken soup for the soul. What? (laughs) So I got the, um, they do a call, uh, on topics and I immediately responded to one they were it was one about teaching and so as soon as I saw that call I knew this is the one for me this is going to be my chicken soup story so I wrote the story and I edited 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 and then I sent it off blissfully ignorant just sent it off and, and it came back that I made it through the first round. I was like, oh, this is so exciting. And then it was selected. Oh, this is so exciting. And then I got my book. And then I happened to see Amy Newkirk, who's the publisher now of those books, um, on Home and Family, the Hallmark Channel, where I spend a great deal of my time. Because that's one day I'm going to have one of my books, a movie on the Hallmark Channel. Um, she said that each Chicken Soup book has 101 stories. And for each book, they get about 5,000 submissions. I did not know that. <laughs> I might have been more intimidated. But I knew when I, I, it's a feeling, it's a certainty, it's a done deal. I, I just know it. And, you know, and it, and it comes to me in different ways. Like, you know, I'll talk about my son for a minute. When I was pregnant, my grandmother and I were very close. Um, When she died, my eyes changed color. I had brown eyes, and after she died, my eyes were green, and hers were green. I wrote an essay about that. But um, we were very close. And while I was pregnant, she came to me in a dream in the shape of a baby. And the baby was very, very sick. And... Then she kind of morphed into how she looked when I last saw her. And she said to me, persevere, it'll be all right. I knew at that moment that my son was going to have a lot of health issues. 
And from that moment on, I never, ever said, this is before ultrasounds. You know, when people say, oh, do you want a boy or a girl? We did, I actually didn't know because nobody was ultrasounding. And people would say, oh, I don't care as long as the baby birds passed my lips. Never, because I knew Brendan was not going to be healthy. But I also knew she told me to persevere and uh, that it would be all right. And it was, you know, he got through all kinds of illnesses and struggles. And so that's another example of, I just knew. And you trust, right? Like when you, like, that's huge. Like from every story that you've told, whenever you get these inclinations, you don't second guess them. You don't talk yourself out of them. You just simply be, like, they're just the truth. It's, it's, they're certainties. This yeah. is, this is going to happen. Um, and then I use that, that whole energy piece. Um, if I am aiming for something or I want to strive for something, um, I, I, from a very early age, I was writing stuff down that I wanted to happen. And then I read a book, write it down, make it happen. And I thought, oh yeah, that's it exactly. And then along came the law of attraction. And that's more of the same thing. It's just be, you know, putting out there what you, you want. And I can give you a perfect example because this was just, this happened since, since Sunday, <laughs> okay? On Sunday, I like to write for Thrive Global, you know that. And they uh, put out a weekly prompt. And if you write in, on that topic and you hashtag it weekly prompt, they choose weekly prompts to feature. Well, I wanted to be featured. <laughs> I wanted to be a weekly prompt. And so on Sunday, uh, it comes out on Saturday, but I didn't read it till Sunday. The weekly prompt was about things my pets have taught me. <laughs> Could that like be a better topic for me? So my friend Claire was here. We were writing together and I said, I am going to write. And I, so I made a quick little, little um, vision map. I'm going to write this and this is going to happen. And I want to be the weekly prompt. Well, I am. On Wednesday, they featured my post as the weekly prompt. Yay! That is so amazing. And it's funny because I was literally doing my podcast interview with Dr. Ali yesterday. And, you know, she had this thing where you, like, ask, you believe, and you receive. And I was like, totally. wow! Why am I not just sinking into those three simple things, right? Yeah, my other, my other go-to source for manifestors is Jen Gottlieb over at um, UA, uh, Unfair Advantage. She is a major manifester. And when she, when she was talking about manifesting, she, she dropped this. She said, only look at what you want to see. I was like, Jen, that's exactly right. You focus on... You don't look at the what you don't want. Look at what you want to see, and my and my and my addition to that is, and only speak what you want to be. You know, so I just I keep those in mind. But um, yeah, so when you say, well, did it come the first time? Usually, yes. If I've really, really been looking for something, it comes up. Um, but it's also funny that I find it so easily to manifest little things, and you know money. This is another interesting way I have of manifesting. But there are some big things that I'm not letting myself go all the way on. So my current 
um, task is to go big, you know, start looking, looking for some bigger, I mean, I've proved it over and over and over how that manifestation works, you know, it's there for us. And, so. I, and I, and I truly believe that. And I truly believe that it it's there for us when it, and this is like something that I'm working on and coming into as well, when it's from source, universe, God, right? It's not something that another human or a, you know, we don't look for the approval external. It's within us already. And yes. we are just simply tapping into the eternal source of all, which is freely available to every single one of us right now. It is. And, you know, I went to Catholic school and some people, you know, have all these horror stories about Catholic school, but I, that that's, you learn about miracles. You know, I mean, when something really extraordinary happens, like I hear something or I'm given a warning about something, people say, you know, can you believe that? Can you trust that? I'm like, I grew up with the lives of the saints. Are you kidding me? Miracles happen all the time. Miracles are are part of our part of my birthright. I mean, miracles happen and you could trust. And I grew up believing that I was being cared for. You know, that that it was all right. And like I said, I've had a lot of little I've missed car accidents that way. You know, I'll hear a little voice say, move to this lane and I move and then there's an accident in the next lane. And I, I always go, oh thank you. You know, but I always, I thought everybody had that, you know. Yeah, well, we I, do. I think everybody does have that on some level. We're just so attuned to not listening. Yeah, I guess. But I'm, I'm really working on, on listening. And the hard thing for me was, the, the part that I got that wasn't good for me was always serving everybody before you serve yourself. Right. That's a hard lesson for me. Um, you know, my, my mother often said to me, you know, Jude, who does the things that are hard? Those who can. And you, you can. So I always felt obligated to do that. Um, but I missed the part about self-care. And, you know, she was modeling self-care for me, so I don't know why. But I'm much better at it now. I know that you can't give, can't drink from an empty cup or pour from an empty cup either. So I'm, I'm better, a lot better about that. But I've been doing a lot of mapping around that too. I love vision mapping. Love it. I could talk to you all day. Like I really could. And I know that there are some people listening who could are like, I still have like a million questions. I may have to have you back because I still, there's so many things that I think that you could teach us all. Um, Yeah. I'd love to come back. I will. um, We we hadn't talked about this, but you know, I will offer some freebies for your folks too. I have a a couple of, um, we can put them in the show notes. Uh, You can, uh, email me and I'll give people um, I have some tips on traveling solo <laughs> and some tips on handling your first holidays post-divorce. I love that. That is so again, gracious and wonderful of you. PDFs that people can have. And then if they're like, I need some more Jude Walsh in my life. Like I feel so, I wish people knew like just how calm I feel just being in your energy. Like you are just like that. Like I said, like, I just feel like, so ah, where can they go to get their dose of Jude Walsh? Well, I'm Jude Walsh on Facebook. I'm Jude Walsh writer coach on Instagram. And my website 
is www.secondbloomcoaching.com. And it's, it's named deliberately because I have this amazing second bloom going on and I want everybody else to have their second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth bloom too. I love that. And you know, my question at the end is you can only choose one. And as a reader and, you know, someone who is impacted by everything, I know, uh, if you could pick one book right now, tapping into the readers that impacted your life in a big way, which book would it be? Jack Canfield's uh, Principles of Success or Success Principles. I always get the title backwards, but it's Jack Canfield, the guy who wrote the original Chicken Soup book. Can I ask but why I think, the, the it, success principles impacted it's, you? It's Jack Canfield, C-A-N-F-I-E-L-D. And I yeah. think it's, it's either six, I think it's success principles or principles of success, but I should have had mine is tattered. It has little tags everywhere. It, he, he has all the things he has, you know, um, doing vision mapping, uh, creating a tribe, figuring out your money, staying focused. It's my go-to book. Mine literally success Bible. Literally has little post-its, you know, those little neon things yeah. Uh, yeah. everywhere. The little ones where you mark pages. It's, it's a go-to for me. But like I said, there are so many because I'm reading all the time. But if there's, that's the one that's next to my bed. I love that. Dude, thank you so much for like coming on and sharing your essence with us all. And just, You're I just love you. Sister. It's and just for those uh, lovely to be listen- with you. I know for those listening, please tag Jude and I on Instagram. Let us know what your, your takeaways were, how you felt after this episode, because like genuinely I, I feel so much more grounded just being in your energy space. So I would love to hear how everybody else felt. And um, I can't wait to share another human with you guys next week. Thanks, Tamara. I love you. Love you. If you've been listening to the Own Your Intuitive podcast and you know you are ready to step into your stardust and to shine your light out into this world, but you don't know what your stardust is and you don't know how to bust through your blocks, I would love to jump on a call to find out if the Chakra Business Academy is the perfect place for you to grow into your lightworker self, to step into this world as a spiritual entrepreneur, making a difference and making an impact. If you're interested, you can go to TamaraArnold.ca slash application and we'll be on a call in no time and you'll be taking steps into stepping into your stardust and making an impact in the world with the exact purpose that you were put on this earth to do.